welcome to the Perfect Gentleman podcast. My name is Zach Falconer Barfield, and alongside me is the erstwhilely, championingly handsome and debonair Mr. James Marwood. How are you, sir? <laughs> I'm very well, my friend. Very well. Yourself? I am good. I'm a little tired currently, as we may or may not have discussed with our listeners. I am working very hard and also about to star an amateur dramatics play next week. Mm, very exciting. I am going a bit crazy at the moment. Yes. Have you got all your lines down? I would say yes, because I'm in a public forum. <laughs> if you ask me off camera, I'd say almost. Almost. Yes. There's a lot of it because it's a restoration comedy, so it's more complex than you would think. I can imagine. And how are you? So are you good? Very good. I'm a little bit sore today. I was doing exercises for reps yesterday. Instead of doing the normal 3x10 or 5x5 that I would do, I did 110 of everything. So I'm a little bit sore. Yeah, I can imagine you being very sore after that. Yes, lighter weights, but more reps. It was good fun. I made a nice puddle on the floor of the gym. That was sweat, by the way. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Not anything I else. was just hoping you'd qualify that one as well. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah, I thought I best had. <laughs> so it's the beginning of March, and that means it's gentleman news time for us. Yes, indeed. And there's been some quite interesting things going on. So what has uh, caught your eye first off the bat? Do you recall a little while ago we talked about Chinese tourists who were being criticised for bad manners and were getting lessons? I do. I remember that we saw some incredible photos of their shocking displays of poor manners. After the episode that we talked about, it had some conversations with friends who work in the hotel trade in London and they confirmed that to me that that was their perception and they always got a little bit nervous when a big load of Chinese tourists turned up because they thought people would be rude. But apparently, that's getting better. Did you see this study? I did see this study. It was very interesting. It was an international study about the perception of Chinese tourists around the world. The main tourist destinations for Chinese, France, the UK, US, Indonesia, Singapore, they said that they had improved. Yes. But not enough, <laughs> by the sound of things. There's still a way to go. It was interesting. They had this guy, Lou Simen, or Simon who is a vice president of tourism for the society that commissioned this. And they said it was interesting that it seemed to be a combination of regulation and telling people what to do, but also education and just pointing out that this is the way that you need to act in these sort of situations and things which are acceptable in this place aren't acceptable in this place. I'm glad and I hope the Chinese tourists improve on the way. It's caught another little article talking about behaviour of different people and there was a little note saying that Malaysians are not behaving their manners well enough. Oh, OK. The Chinese are getting better and the Malays are getting poorer. Well, hopefully the Malays will take a leaf out of the Chinese book and get better. Yes, well done, China. Yes, well done. Anything else has caught your eye, James? There was something that we were talking about just before we got online that sounded really interesting about the secret code of queuing. Yes, I love this. This this is one of my favourite things. As you well know, I love a good queue. Oh, absolutely. It is one of the great things of Britishness. There was a study done by the Professor of Psychology, Mr Adrian Furnham, at UCL, that's University College London. He did a study and basically found out the secret of queuing is the number six. OK. People will wait for six minutes in a queue before giving up or start to get humpy. People will generally uh, not join a queue with more than six people unless they have to. Yep. Between six inches is the best gap between QEs in said queue. Being six people in and six people behind is kind of the ultimate queue. Okay, so that's the best place to be. That's the best place to be, yes. <laughs> and of course, the report found all queuing is very confusing for foreigners. Yes. Especially as we were talking about what I lovingly refer to as the unqueue queue. Yes, absolutely. Well, this was something a friend of mine from the US pointed out to me, was that she was amazed at how the British can queue 
without being in a queue at a bar or at a bus stop in some circumstance where you're not in an orderly line but yet everybody knows who's next and everybody knows whose turn it is and no one will step out of line for fear of the almighty tut yes exactly the first is the tut Second is the verbal grumble. Yes, not directed to you, but so you can hear. Yes, that's just disgusting behaviour. How dare you do that? And then, unfortunately, Britons don't have anything short of nuclear after that. Generally not, no. One of my favourites when somebody wants to push into a queue or tries to is to say, I'm sorry, you probably don't realise there's a queue here and we're all waiting in it, which sort of gives them a... And out to say, oh, terribly sorry, I didn't realise, which for most people is OK, because often it's a genuine mistake. Especially if they're British. Yes. But I did have a rather frank exchange of views, shall we say, <laughs> with a, a Southern European chap in London recently, where there was a long queue for a cash point at a station, and he wanted to push in because apparently he was in a hurry. But we were all in a hurry. That was the point. We were at a train station. Did he acquiesce and stay in the back of the queue? He did after I, I didn't really give him much other choice. He was going to push in in front of me and then I wouldn't let him and then he tried to push in front of the lady behind me and I said no. And then he's like, well, just go and do your train and don't mind your own business. I said, no, this is my business. I will miss my train and stay here to make sure you do not push in front of any of these people. And then he went to the back of the queue. <laughs> Sorry, I have to, I have to laugh because I've done very similar things. Yes. The queue defenders. I did have a bit of a bee in my bonnet. I bet you everyone else was in very British fashion going, jolly, jolly good, jolly good. I did get a few smiles. Yeah, I'm like a queue Batman. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, so the power of the queue, British queuing, we love a queue. Yes, indeed. The other great one is the pub. It's amazing when you go, oh, no, 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 he was first. Yes. And you watch people who are not British with you going, how did you know? Yes. And why are you giving your place in the bar to him? Yes. Well, it's British, he's in the queue. He was in front of me, yes. <laughs> That's how this works, indeed. Now, you mentioned something else just before we were coming on about an Italian restaurant. Yes, I'm after the queuing. This is my favourite gentleman news bit of the month so far. An Italian restaurant owner, Mr Antonio Ferrari, I'm assuming no relation, in Padua. He has introduced a 5% discount for parents who had well-behaved children. I think that's fantastic. It's called the Polite Children Discount. He doesn't penalise people for bad behaviour, but he rewards weak people for good behaviour. Perfect. Because he was shocked and dismayed by the declining table manners of Italian children. I must admit, my perception when I've been in Italy or in restaurants in the UK, I've found Italians and French generally have fantastically well-mannered children in restaurants. And obviously these are people who are eating in restaurants in London, so they're on their best behaviour. But it has been noticeable to me, I think, that Italians and especially the French have such well-mannered, calm children in restaurants compared to some of the British and some of the Americans and some of the Germans that I've met. <laughs> I think that's really cool. Like you said, the idea of rewarding good behaviour rather than punishing bad is an especially nice one. I think it's a very good idea. We salute you, Mr Ferrari. Yes. I think more restaurants should do that. I've had it before in, in restaurants where unruly children or noisy children make it uncomfortable. It's one thing when it's a very family-focused restaurant that you expect to have lots of children in. Giraffe which is a, a London chain, which is really popular with families. And you go in there and you expect it to be a bit noisy and a bit raucous because every table pretty much has three or four kids at it. But when you're in a, a restaurant in the evening and it's a bit quiet and you may be wanting to have dinner with your other half and then there's loud children or children running around or that sort of thing, it spoils things for everyone. 
There's no reason kids can't go to restaurants so long as their parents teach them how to act. I agree. So we're kind of almost wrapping up our little gentleman news section today. Anything else is catching your eye? Well, there was a little thing, which was a, a short article that was on Technojobs, which is a job website. Now, I spend a lot of time looking for new contracts and new work, so I spend a significant portion of my, of my energy is devoted on these sorts of websites. And they've started adding to do that added value thing of adding in additional articles and get people to stay on their sites a bit more. And there's an interesting one by T.M. Lewin, which was a combination sort of advert and what do you describe it? Like an informative article. Advertorials, aren't they? Aren't Advertorial, that's it. I knew there'd be a sort of a portmanteau word for it. But what was interesting was it was looking at five different types of office dress code. And there's been a few articles on this recently. Permanent Style, Simon Compton's blog has done some great articles on it. But this was breaking down quite interestingly. They had Business Formal, which is a dark two-piece suit, light-coloured shirt, solid tie, fairly standard. Business Professional, which are dark-coloured suits with conservative patterns, which I thought was interesting. And they did have, for ladies, because they talk about ladies there as well, and they talk about very, very similar code. They actually talk about skirt suits primarily here, but there's no reason ladies can't wear trouser suits as well. They're perfectly acceptable. But in business professional, you can be a little bit more playful with your ties. And then the tricky business casual... And what was interesting with this is it made a lot of reference to jumpers and cardigans. OK. Which is unusual because a lot of business casual sort of miss that off. And I think it's a great way. You can wear the tie or not. But if you just switch to slightly less formal trousers and a jumper or a cardigan, you're instantly casual. Yes. And then small business casual, which is basically the same, but with denim. <laughs> Devil's jacket, sorry. <laughs> yes. Pantaloons de Nîmes. I quite like jeans, as, we, as we've <laughs> talked about before. But what they did talk about, which I thought was quite useful, was uh, creative, specific niche dress codes that you kind of won't know about unless you go there. And you get those quite often in technology or design. It's T-shirts and jeans, sometimes sportswear or things like that, or sometimes there's particular types of shirts which are acceptable. So, for example, long-sleeve shirts might be okay, but short sleeves a little bit frowned upon, but you tend not to know about those. Okay. What was interesting was that for most of these, business casual, business professional, formal, there are rules and you know what to wear. And you can wear your suit and tie or you can wear your chinos and long sleeve shirt and a cardigan. But when it's creative, the best advice they can give is have a look when you get a tour or go for an interview and see what people wear. <laughs> Which is interesting. It's just one of the perils of having that kind of free-form or implicit dress code, which isn't explicit when there isn't a rule that you know. And I'd still turn up in a suit. Well, yes, of course. <laughs> Just to upset everyone, there we go. I remember when I used to work in the film industry and, and I would turn, always turn up in a suit and you have the strange looks and they would always assume you're the lawyer. I mean, I've had this before with clients when they've asked me not to wear a suit. And I had this when I was abroad and I was in Poland and I had to go out and buy jeans and polo shirts because I didn't have any with me. <laughs> I had jeans that I used lounging around the house or maybe working in the garden. Certainly not work jeans. And trying to find those in Poland was a bit of a mission. So it comes most of our gentlemen news things. I just like something I think we should mention, being the foodies that we are. This Tuesday just gone, it was pancake day. Yes, indeed. Shrove Tuesday. I know it's the start of Lent, but... So what? It's still Pancake Day. Pancake Day, absolutely, yes. I don't do the giving up for Lent, but I do do Pancake Day. I'm with you on that one. Are you a pancake fan, then? I love them, absolutely. Anything in that, that kind of mix, but savoury pancakes, sweet pancakes, 
thin, soft British pancakes, big, fluffy American pancakes, all of them. Yes, I'm with you on that. From the grand crepe to the lovely British pancake and to the big, fluffy buttermilk, blueberry pancakes of America, lashings of maple syrup for those, lemon and sugar for the British ones, and and maybe a slab of Nutella on the crepe. Oh, yes. (laughs) How do you do your pancakes, Zach? Do you have any any secrets to how you do yours? If I want to make sort of American-style pancakes, so make it a bit more fluffy, what I tend to do is separate the yolks and the whites and then beat the whites up so they become uh, fluffy. Yes. And then fold all the other ingredients back in. Yeah. So it becomes quite a lighter mixture. So it really gives you that fluff. <laughs> what I do is I stand there and cook the lot of them and I generally make a big batch. So if I'm going to make pancakes, I generally make a lot of them for lots of people. And, I, and the nice thing about that is you can sort of pop in whatever you want, whether it's blueberries, chocolate, banana, almost make them to order effectively. If I'm doing American style pancakes, I really like mine plain pancakes then with crispy bacon and maple syrup simple as best i'm a big fan of that good bit of bacon good bit of maple syrup large stack of pancakes for the bacon what i tend to do is cook it in the oven for pancakes i use streaky bacon which would be the american style of bacon pretty much but in the uk we tend to have back bacon and streaky bacon cold oven cold oven tray whack the bacon on it turn the oven up to 200 stick it straight in and leave for 20 minutes and you end up with glorious crispy bacon really simply (laughs) Yes, indeed. (laughs) If I'm doing British pancakes, I tend to like those with either, traditionally, caster sugar and lemon juice, or my favourite is with lemon curd. Okay. Ever since I was a little boy, I've loved lemon curd. I have a dangerous uh, weakness for it, so I tend not to have it in too often because the jars don't last. But on pancakes, that's my favourite. But one thing, actually, I don't think I've ever cooked French-style crepes. Oh, you should. And make for dessert crepe Suzette. You know, similar to what we would call British pancakes. Thinner, bigger, generally cooked on a flat pan, a crepe pan. Once you've cooked your crepes, you let them cool a little bit, and then you make crepe Suzette, which is basically, if I remember correctly, because it's been a while since I made them, orange juice, sugar, and grand manier. Oh, that, that does sound good, yes. You make that sauce and then you put the pancakes into the sauce. Of course, you like the Grand Marnier when you serve the pancakes. Fantastic. I'm hopefully having a couple of friends around for dinner in, a, in about a week's time. So I might do that then. And I'll have to test it beforehand, of course. Of course. Perhaps a few times if it's especially good. It must be done. I'm a big fan of lemon and sugar on my normal pancakes. I'm also a big fan of Nutella with desiccated coconut. Very nice. Sometimes I do a a savoury pancake with breakfast, sort of a halfway between an English and an American, where I'll make the pancake much like an English pancake mix, or thin and, and large, but I'll put half a teaspoon of mustard powder in, as I would do with batter for Toad in the Hole, and then serve that with English breakfast. So with sausage and bacon and black pudding and mushrooms. Oh, very nice. I don't do that often. It's probably due another run out, actually, that recipe. I'm packing my bags and heading up for breakfast. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Well, I finally found a a very good supplier of black pudding from a little market in Newcastle. Let me know if you're coming and I'll I'll bring some in. Oh, very good. On that note, if you have any favourite pancake fillings or ideas, please do drop us a line at enquiries at theperfectgentleman.tv or you can contact us on social media, Twitter, Facebook, the usual channels. We are always happy to hear from you and we always love to hear your tales and stories. And next week when we talk about romance, we have a lot of conversations that we've had with our followers and friends about the next topic, which will be next week. So we look forward to hearing from you anyway about any topic. On that note, though, James, I think it's time for us to go off and practice some more pancakes. I know we had some on Tuesday, but you know what? 
I'm hungry now. I've still got all the ingredients in. I've got plenty of eggs. Actually, I might go and give a crepe a try. I'll have to see if I can find a pan large enough. Maybe make a whip up some crepes, is it? Yes, that sounds like a plan. Wonderful. Well, till next time, James. Take care, my friend. Speak soon. Bye-bye. This podcast is brought to you by the Perfect Gentleman Group Limited and was edited by Andy Nichol at the Pistachio Palace.